0: This is Barry Zalma, Zalma on Insurance on YouTube. I am an attorney who has retired from the practice of law. I still work full-time as an insurance claims consultant, an insurance expert witness, an author and producer of these videos. Today, we speak about the sick building syndrome. Sick Building Syndrome, SBS, covers the whole range of health problems that are related to toxic or toxin exposure in a building. There are serious questions raised by physicians and mold experts about the existence of a true relationship between the mold and bacterial infections that have been reported to be the cause of SBS. SBS is used to describe situations in which building occupants experience acute health and discomfort effects that appear to be linked to time spent in a building, but no specific illness or cause can be identified. The complaints may be localized in a particular room or zone, or may be widespread throughout the building. In contrast, the term building-related illness, BRI, is used when symptoms of diagnosable illness are identified and can be attributed directly to airborne building contaminants. The causes of the sick building syndrome are not easily identified. And there are more than one such causes. The most frequently alleged causes are toxic fumes, bacteria growth, toxic gases, fungal spores, and the so-called toxic mold. In some cases, building occupants complain of symptoms associated with acute discomfort such as headaches, eye, nose, or throat irritation, dry cough, dry or itchy skin, dizziness and nausea, difficulty in concentrating, fatigue, sensitivity to odors and nosebleeds, shortness of breath and or exhaustion after minor exercises, such as walking, a burning and watering of the eyes and nose, Horse and sore throat, and heart palpitations. The toxins in certain molds have been suggested to be a medium that triggers asthma attacks to certain people sensitive to mold. The toxins may also act as irritants and can exacerbate asthma in otherwise non-sensitive people. Hypersensitivity pneumonitis has also been linked to both short and long-term exposure to molds. It may develop following either short-term acute or long-term chronic exposure to molds. The disease rem- resembles bacterial pneumonia and is uncommon. It also seems to resemble the effects of uh, viruses such as the COVID-19 virus. People also suffer from pulmonary hemosiderosis, a lung disorder that occurs in infants and children, which causes bleeding in the lungs. The disease is rare and the cause is unknown. Other SBS diseases might be considered idiopathic pulmonary hemocytorosis, IPH or AIPH, most common in young children, but can occur in adults. Pulmonary hemorrhages are most often mild and continuous, but can be severe. Blood in interstitial spaces leads to pulmonary fibrosis. Patients may live for several years developing pulmonary fibrosis and insufficiency with chronic secondary anemia. Some commentators have suggested the disease may be caused by exposure to mycotoxins produced by Stachybotrys chartarum or other fungi growing in moist household environments. The U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention report, quote, Overall, the evidence from these studies was not of sufficient quality to support an association between stachybotrys and AIPH. In addition, the reviewers noted that evidence from other sources supporting a causal role of stachybotrys in AIPH is limited. First, AIPH is not consistent with historic accounts of animal and human illnesses caused by stachybotrys or related toxigenic fungi. A related study concluded that stachybotrys produces the mycotoxin satratoxin H, which is implicated in very high cytotoxicity And several environmental allergic reactions. The various papers concerning the toxicity of contact with mold spores has met with serious concerns that people can really be sickened by exposure to mold spores. Many experts believe that is not possible. One major disease function that uh, is included within the sick-building syndrome is Legionnaire's disease, which acquired its name in 1976 when an outbreak of what was believed to be pneumonia occurred among persons attending a convention of the American Legion in Philadelphia. Later, the bacterium causing the illness was named Legionella, Patients with Legionnaire's disease usually have fever, chills, and a cough, which may be dry or may produce sputum. Some patients also have muscle aches, headaches, tiredness, loss of appetite, and occasionally diarrhea. Laboratory tests may show that the patient's kidneys are not functioning properly. Chest x-rays often lead to a diagnosis of pneumonia, It is difficult to distinguish Legionnaire's disease from other types of pneumonia by symptoms alone. Other tests are required for diagnosis. Legionellosis is an infection caused by the bacterium Legionella pneumophilia. The disease has two distinct forms. Legionnaire's disease, the most severe form of infection, that includes as a result of the infection the development of pneumonia and Pontiac fever, a milder illness. The bacteria that causes Legionnaire disease thrives where there is a lack of moisture control in air conditioning systems. There are approximately 35 Legionella variations known to produce the disease, which can survive for several months in a wet environment And multiply in the presence of algae or other uh, organic material. In AMCO Insurance versus Swagat Group, the issue of liability for the disease was discussed in detail, and depending on the causes found, the applicability of insurance exclusions. Legionnaires' disease is a direct result of the following. Construction defects. Defective air conditioner materials, including insufficient splash bars, cooling towers, or evaporative condensers containing Legionella or other microorganisms brought in by circulating air or water. A break between the air conditioning system ducts and those of the cooling tower. Improper installation of an air conditioner. Defective repairs to air conditioners or existence of standing water in a structure or even a design defect that allows moisture droplets to enter the structure. Outbreaks of legionellosis occur when mists are inhaled from a water source such as air conditioning, cooling towers, whirlpool spas, showers, contaminated with legionella bacteria. In Methodist Hospital of Indiana versus Ray, a 1990 uh, court of appeal decision, a patient contracted Legionnaire's disease while hospitalized. Ray claimed that during his hospitalization to have a kidney stone removed, the hospital negligently and carelessly caused and permitted its premises to become infested and infected with the deadly Legionella Pneumonia Bacteria. The court, based on Indiana statutes, refused to allow the case to go forward, although it indicated that discovery might provide facts to establish a basis to maintain the suit. This video was adapted from my book Construction, Defect, and Insurance, Volume 2 of 8, and is available both as a kindle book and as a paperback from amazon.com or from my website zalma.com by uh, clicking on the link to the insurance claims library and then searching down for construction defect and insurance if you found this video to be of interest or use to you in your profession, please tell your friends and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Thank you again for your attention. This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on Insurance on YouTube. I am an attorney who has retired from the active practice of law. I now spend my time acting as an insurance claims consultant an insurance claims expert witness, an author and creator of these videos. Today I'd like to talk about the presentation and resolution of a first-party property claim under a homeowner's policy. If the real or personal property of an insured is damaged by a risk of loss insured against, The claims process must begin as soon as reasonably practical. It is the obligation of the insured, once a loss occurs, to promptly advise the insurer that a loss has occurred, the type of loss, the date and time of the loss, and how to contact the insured to begin the claims investigation. Once the notice of loss is received, the insurer will assign a claims adjuster to commence the investigation of the loss and work with the insured to prove the claim to the insurer. So what is an adjuster? An adjuster or insurance adjuster or claims representative is by statutory definition a person, who undertakes to ascertain and report the actual loss to the subject matter of insurance due to the hazard insured against. Insurance companies create, by issuing an insurance policy, a contractual obligation to pay every insured's valid claim. To do so, insurers understand that almost all persons insured are not able to prove the cause and extent of loss without assistance. Therefore, insurers dispatch a person with special knowledge, the adjuster, to step separate fact from fiction, to establish cause and origin of the claimed loss, and to determine sufficient information to enable the insurance company to determine the amounts necessary to indemnify the insured as the policy promised. The adjuster is also present to distinguish the valid claim from a claim for which the insurance company is not liable under the policy. Some policies specifically state that the claimant must use his own judgment in estimating the amount of loss and that the assistance of an insurance adjuster is a courtesy-only The claimant must still send a proof of loss within 60 days after the loss, even if the adjuster does not furnish the form or help the insured complete the proof of loss. As a general rule, when an insurer gives its insured written notice of its desire that a proof of loss under a policy of fire insurance must be furnished and provides a suitable form for such proof, Failure of the insured to file a proof of loss within 60 days after receipt of such notice or within any longer period specified in the notice is an absolute defense to an action on the policy. Since the invention of the adjuster more than a century ago, the first person from the insurer that the insured meets when he or she suffers a first-party property loss is the adjuster. The claim adjuster was invented to smooth the claims process and be certain that the insured receives the indemnity promised and performs a complete and thorough investigation to avoid the sometimes unusual fraudulent claims. Every modern claim adjuster operates with the knowledge that it is his or her duty to aid the insurer in its obligation to fulfill the promises made by the policy of insurance and assist the insured in presenting his or her claim to the insurer. An insurance adjuster is a person engaged in the business of insurance. The first-party property insurance adjuster limits his or her activities to the investigation and adjustment of first-party property claims like fire, lightning, windstorm, hail, theft, and other damages to real and personal property. An insurance adjuster is an agent of the company and his powers and authority are prima facie coextensive with the business entrusted to his or her care. The duty of the adjuster is to ascertain and determine the amount of any claim, loss, or damage payable under an insurance contract and or effecting settlement of such claim, loss, or damage. The acts of an adjuster within the apparent scope of his authority are binding on the company without notice to the insured of limitations on his or her powers. Now, the adjuster has certain duties and obligations. Among those include the fact that a special relationship exists between an insurer and insured because they are in privity of contract. As an individual the individual insurance adjuster is not in privity with the insureds based on their insurance policy wording. Thus, although the employee adjuster does not owe a special duty to the insureds on which the bad faith tort could be based against the adjuster, he or she owes the duty to the insurer-employer. Although actions of the adjuster can support a claim of bad faith against an insurer for whom the adjuster works in most states, the adjuster, not being a party to the contract, cannot, cannot commit the tort of bad faith. Consider Grunberg v. Etna, a California Supreme Court decision. In the absence of privity of contract, an insurance adjuster is not individually liable to an insured for failure to settle a claim against an insured. Consider Dumas v. ACCC insurance a Georgia appellate decision. However, the actions of the adjuster can cause the insurer that employed him or her to face charges of breach of the insurance contract and liability for breach of the tort of bad faith. Now, the duties under an insurance policy are not one-sided. The insured also has an obligation to meet with the adjuster and work towards the proof of loss. Every policy requires the insured to meet with and cooperate with the investigation of the insurer. Therefore, when the insured first meets with the adjuster, he or she should explain to the adjuster the basic facts of the loss and seek from the adjuster, if not offered voluntarily, an explanation of the duties imposed on the insured by the policy. The adjuster, of course, should then advise the insured that policy requires the insured to prove his or her loss to the insurer and explain the policy conditions that must be fulfilled by the insured. The adjuster should also explain to the insured that in order to provide the best service possible, the adjuster was retained by the insurer to act in good faith to its insureds to help the insured prove his or her loss. The adjuster will explain that he or she cannot prove the loss for the insured. The adjuster must explain to the insured that he or she is only present to help the insured do what is required to obtain the benefits of the policy to make the claims process go easily the insured person must understand that both the insured and the adjuster have duties when damage caused by fire windstorm or other insured perils are discovered the following list outlines the most important of these duties one the insured should be sure there is no unnecessary delay in reporting the fact of the discovery of damage to the insurer. Two, the insured and the adjuster should establish there is no unnecessary delay in responding to any fire, firefighting, flood, or water-related cause of loss where mold may result as a natural result of the firefighting water or warmth and existence of mold spores in the building, and protect against further damage. The insured may be asked to sign a non-waiver agreement. The insured may receive a reservation of rights letter advising him of his or her of the duties under the policy. Five, the insured should readily and without objection sign the non-waiver agreement Accept the reservation of rights as an expression of the status quo. The insured gives up nothing by doing so and are only recognizing that the insurer's investigation of the loss does not waive any of the insurer's rights under the policy. Six, the adjuster should remind the insured immediately of the insured's duties as the insured to preserve and protect the damaged property, and to mitigate the loss with due diligence and dispatch. And seven, the adjuster will advise the insured of the coverages available and the limits of liability of the policy purchased by the insured. An insurer should respond to a typical loss claim by written or verbal contact within 24 hours of the insured's presentation of a notice of the claim. The insurer should share information regarding emergency repairs, additional living expenses, temporary advance payments, and prevention of further loss. The first contact with the adjuster is usually an informative meeting where the insured and the adjuster discuss the causes of the loss, the type of loss, when the loss was discovered, and make an initial effort to agree on a tentative scope of loss. The insured should expect the adjuster to do the following. 1. Ask for a walkthrough inspection of the entire dwelling. 2. The insured should make every effort to point out each item of damage or suspected damage during the walkthrough. 3. The insured or the insured's representative should assist the adjuster in viewing both the damage and the source of damage. 4. The adjuster will ask the insured to submit to a recorded statement. Ask the insured for the identities of each family member or vendor who can give the adjuster information about the loss. An adjuster is a person professionally trained to assess the damage to real and personal property. He or she will probably visit the home before asking the insured to complete any forms. The more information the insured has about the damaged home and belongings, the sooner the claim will be settled. The adjuster generally will come prepared to do a thorough and complete evaluation of the damage. The adjuster will and should ask the insured to agree to a scope of loss determined at the first meeting. Agreeing to a scope of loss is not presenting a claim, nor is the insured compelled to limit the claim to the initial scope of loss. As time passes after the loss, it is common to find additional losses and damages, especially when expert contractors visit the premises and start examining the property uh, for reconstruction and demolition needs. It must be understood by the adjuster that the scope is usually incomplete and will be added to as new damage is discovered. The insured must protect all property from further damage so that there is no question that other things have caused damage after the fire, for example. The insured and working with the adjuster must document his or her loss and cooperate with the insurance company's investigation. The proof of loss requirement is usually waived for small losses and is necessary for any major loss that could include damage to real and personal property. Flood insurance policies, different from the basic homeowner's policy and that supplement a homeowner's policy require the proof of loss within 60 days of the loss and are applied in a draconian fashion because flood insurance is a federal government process whose payments eventually are paid from the U.S. Treasury. If the insured cannot produce a proof of loss within 60 days of the loss, it is essential that the insured obtain an extension of time in writing from the adjuster, or the insured may lose all rights under the policy. Many insureds believe insurers make a practice of making inadequate, sometimes called lowball, offers of settlement. They are wary of what they think are estimates from insurance company friendly contractors. Whether true or not, it's a good practice to get a second or even a third opinion or written estimate to repair and replace the damaged property. The insured should never sign a release, a waiver, indemnity, hold harmless agreement, or assignment of benefits without first obtaining proper legal advice. If the insurer, adjuster, consultant, or contractor Ask the insured to sign or release a waiver, indemnity, or hold harmless agreement. Ask them to explain why in writing and then present that writing to counsel before signing it. These kinds of agreements can be used to deprive an insured of rights and benefits and may obligate the insured to pay thousands of extra dollars for issues that arise. It is often best to consult a policyholder attorney to determine the insured's rights before signing such an agreement. However, if you and the adjuster reach agreement and there is no dispute, then sign the proof of loss if required, take the check, and start rebuilding your house. On the other hand, if a public adjuster or contractor asks the insured to assign the monies to be paid by the insurer to the contractor or public adjuster, the insured will find that he or she may have given away the right to receive the money from the insurer and may have to take from whatever is paid by the insurer a contingent fee payable to the public adjuster or contractor. Unless you simply do not have time to deal with the adjuster who is working to resolve the claim with you, a public adjuster or a lawyer is simply not worthwhile. If you have a problem with the adjuster, you can always call on assistance from the Department of Insurance in your state who acts as a consumer advocate. Finally, always be aware of deadlines. The insurer and its adjuster are obligated to advise you of them, but if they do not, it is in your best interest to read your own insurance policy and make sure there are no deadlines that need to be waived. If there is a deadline fast approaching, by simply asking the adjuster, he will waive that deadline and pass it on. This uh, video was adapted from my book, The Homeowner's Insurance Policy, which is available as both a Kindle book and as a paperback from Amazon.com and can also be found at Zalma.com by clicking on the link to the insurance claims library if you found this video to be useful and of interest advise your colleagues and friends about it and please subscribe to the youtube channel so you can learn about new videos as they appear thank you for your attention